more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's Superman. That's how my wife introduces me when I walk in the front door at the end of a day of work. I'm offended at your laughter. When we think of Superman, maybe we get the idea of someone that is unstoppable. But even that fictional character had his kryptonite, right? Being unstoppable necessitates unlimited powers. All created beings have limits to their powers. Therefore, all of our plans are stoppable. But there is someone that is not created, who has no limits, and whose plan is truly unstoppable. That is why he, this someone, is worthy of our trust. And that is precisely why he alone is worthy of all of our trust. If you have not done so yet, would you please find the book of Romans in your copy of God's Word? It's page 946 of the copy that's located in the book racks of the pew in front of you. Romans teaches us all about the undeserved, the unmatched, and the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. And specifically this morning, we are considering that idea of the gospel being unstoppable or the, the redemptive plan of God, the eternal, gracious, redemptive plan of God going forward and nothing being able to stop it. We're making our way through this epistle that, that the Apostle Paul penned for the church that was located in Rome. And we're, we've divided it into these different divisions here. And we're, we're on that fourth one, the defense of the gospel of Jesus. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 communicate really a defense of this good news of Jesus. I mentioned last week as we began Romans 11 that Romans 11 is um, not just a chapter that we're studying today and for the next few times that we're in Romans. It's one of the most difficult chapters really in all of God's Word for us to, to understand and interpret and to meditate and to apply. Uh, it covers some heavy intertwining subjects and we, yet we know that, that Romans 11 has been included for God's, in God's word for us. Therefore, uh, as, as we read in Timothy, we know it's profitable for us. All of God's word, Genesis to Revelation, every bit of it is profitable for us. Romans 9, 10, 11 defends the character of God as the only being whose plans and whose promises never, ever fail. God's plans... His promises never, ever fail. They always come to fruition. Particularly in the first 10 verses of chapter 11, Paul is defending God's record, specifically with the Jewish people, God's special people that he has chosen for himself. Paul is defending God's character as being a promise-keeping God to this people. Even though, present circumstances may seem to indicate otherwise. Paul wants his audience to understand and to be assured that God's promises to them are being fulfilled. 
God's eternal and gracious redemptive plan is unstoppable. Now, Christian, just at the outset, that is a matter of unbelievable, a source of unbelievable peace for you. That God's eternal redemptive plan is unstoppable because you are in Christ. If you've gathered this morning, if you're watching online, and you don't have that peace because you are not yet God's child, I want you to know that you can have that peace of hearts. You can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. More on that in a moment. Please follow as I read from Romans chapter 11. I'm going to begin at the very beginning. Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. Is what Elijah says. But what is God's reply to Elijah? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would, that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a trap and a, and a, a, a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. God's eternal and gracious redemptive plan is unstoppable. And that's precisely why it is trustable. You can trust God's plan to redeem you. We began looking at this passage last Sunday and there are five aspects to Paul's argument. We talked about two of them last week. First of all, we noted that Paul gives a personal testimony of God's faithfulness to his promises. In other words, Paul says in verse number one, I myself am an Israelite. He testifies, God hasn't rejected me. I, have, you know, I should have been rejected. It would make sense for me to be rejected, but God hasn't rejected me. He testifies of God's faithfulness to his promises that God had made to the children of Israel many, many years ago. We also noted from the passage a theological reality of God's faithfulness to his promise. And that was noted in verse number 2, that, that he, those people that he, he has not rejected, he foreknew. God ordained that certain people would not be rejected. So today we continue into the passage and we see a historical illustration of God's faithfulness to his promises. We see that, that Elijah is the one that Paul uses as this historical illustration. He says, what does, what did, do you not know what Elijah says? And he says, here's what Elijah says, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. I'm alone and left and they seek my life. 
But what does God's reply to Elijah? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knees to Baal. And then Paul says, so too, now at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. The Jews in Rome that Paul was writing to were familiar with the Old Testament. So Paul draws on that material, on that knowledge, uh, and, and uses an illustration to make his points. Elijah's story from the Old Testament. Here are the, the, the cliff notes. In 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah prophesied that a drought was coming to Israel. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah confronts Ahab and has the big event on, on, Mount, on Mount Carmel where he calls down fire from heaven on the altar. Right after 450 prophets of Baal were unsuccessful in their attempt to call down uh, fire on their altar. Eventually the Lord sends rain to Israel. In 1 Kings 19, we read that Ahab tells wicked Jezebel all that had happened. He goes through and tells the story of, of the prophets of Baal, their defeat, and how successful Elijah was. So Elijah got up, and he literally ran for his life. He gets to a wilderness, he goes into a cave, and he hears the, the word of the Lord in a still, small voice. And then in 1 Kings 19, 14, Elijah says to God, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. This is what Paul quotes here in Romans 11. Elijah despaired. He was, he, was, he was in despair because of his apparent surrounding circumstances. But the situation was not uh, indeed as hopeless as Elijah had thought it to be, as he understood it to be. Elijah thought that he was the last man of God. Elijah thought that all of Israel had gone the way of Baal. Elijah thought that he was the only one who remained committed to Jehovah God. And that is why Paul uses this historical illustration because there were Jews in Paul's day who thought that all of Israel had rejected Messiah. But God told Elijah in 1 Kings 19, I have kept 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the Old Testament, God wanted Elijah to know that he indeed had remained faithful, that God had remained faithful to his promise in his promise to Israel. There were still some in Israel who remained true to God. There was a remnant in Israel. There was a spiritual Israel within the nation of Israel, even during times when it seemed that Israel had completely rejected God. God's redemptive plan had not and could not be thwarted. God's redemptive plan was unstoppable. God was preserving some so that one day his son could come from the tribe of Judah in fulfillment of a promise that of the continual unfolding of God's eternal redemptive plan. So Paul's point is that God was faithful. He was faithful to Elijah. He was faithful to Israel. He had preserved a remnant. And God preserving and keeping this remnant in Israel, it testifies to God's faithfulness 
to the promises that he had already made years ago to Abraham and to Moses and to the children of Israel. Friends, this information about Israel's past, present, and future is not unrelated to us in 2022. This historical illustration presents an unchanging truth about God and His eternal redemptive plan. His plan is unstoppable. Therefore, it's trustable by you and by me. It's trustable. God's gracious redemptive plan is trustable even when we think we are almost the only ones left. His plan is trustable when we feel like the lone ranger in our faith. Apostasy happens as people repudiate the faith that they once professed. Apostasy is, is, a, is a position held by people who once professed faith, believed something about God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you realize that's happening in churches all over America? There are children who grow up in who grow up professing faith in Jesus, and then they walk away. And we're left wondering. We are often called to consider the, the crazy and chaotic world that we live in. Headlines and happenings seem more and more bizarre every week. We're now living in a nation that mirrors the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. I would never have imagined a world where young people were confused about and attempting to change their God-given gender. There are people being murdered regularly for no apparent reason. And professing believers are giving approval to or looking past sexual sin, pro-choice options, and other actions that are clearly undeniably condemned by God in His Word. There are so-called churches that flaunt their tolerance of what God calls sin. And so-called churches that, aff that affirm lifestyles of individuals that God says will not inherit His kingdom. And when we think of all that is going on around us, and we consider the, the anti-God attitude and the ignoring of God's instruction, it's easy for us to fall into a depression, if I could bring a cartoon into it, to an Eeyore mentality, a woe-is-me mindset. I'm the only one who's doing right. I'm the only one who cares about what God cares about. I'm the only one who cares about living a holy life. Students, when you or at college, Christian or state college. There are going to be times when you feel like you are the last one standing for what is right. Parents, there are going to be times when you tell your child that they can't go to uh, attend a party or a dance or a whatever because of the environment that will be there at that event. And your child is going to tell you that you are the only parents on the planet that are taking a stand for righteousness. Brothers and sisters, there will be times in our workplaces, in our family reunions, in our social media discussions where we feel very lonely. 
But Paul's point to the church at Rome, and by extension his point for us this morning, is that there is indeed hope in the midst of widespread apostasy. There is hope in what seems to be a you-against-the-rest-of-the-world mentality. And that hope is that God is faithful to his eternal promises of redeeming his children. One of the, the beautiful, one of the, the beautiful benefits of church membership, and there are many, but I won't go down that rabbit trail too far this morning. One of the beautiful memberships, beautiful benefits of church membership is that we link arms to pursue the Lord together. Our tagline is from Philippians 1.27, is that we are striving together for the faith of the gospel. Further, that's why attending church gatherings is important. If you fill your heart and your mind with, with mainstream media and social media all week, you're going to end up with an Elijah mentality. Lord, I alone am left. But gathering, coming together on the Lord's Day, we are reminded through our prayers and through our singing and through our preaching that God has not left us alone. We are not in this by ourselves. There are others that are struggling in the fight along with us. Beloved of Harvest Bible Church, build relationships within this congregation that remind you that you are not alone. Build relationships that foster a team mindset. Build relationships that mutually encourage one another to continue trusting God's redemptive plan. Do that in your connection group this afternoon or whenever your group meets. Build friendships and relationships that help you continue on in your pursuit of Jesus. That challenge you so that you don't get bombarded by the world's thinking. And that challenge you to remain faithful to the word that you profess. There is hope in the midst of widespread apostasy. God's eternal and gracious redemptive plan is unstoppable. And that's precisely why we can trust it. You can trust God's plan to redeem you. So Paul, he gives us this historical illustration of God's faithfulness. And then he moves on and he, he explains to us an exclusive hope of God's faithfulness to his promise. And we see this specifically in verses 5 and 6. So he's, he reminds them, he says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant. So he's talking about their time, the church at Rome time. So too, there is a pre at this time, there is a remnant chosen by, what's the next word? Say it out loud. Chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. That's the exclusive hope that we have of, of God's faithfulness to his promise. It's God's grace. Many Jews of Paul's day and many Jewish people of 2022 have not acknowledged that Jesus is Christ. Paul wants us to know that there were believing Jews all throughout history. Some of those were Isaiah and Ezekiel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Mordecai, Esther, Zacharias and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph as we come into the New Testament, Simeon, Anna, shepherds near Bethlehem. We come into the book of Acts. There are 3,000 mostly Jewish who were added at the day of Pentecost. 5,000 more 
a few days later. So not only was there a 7,000-person remnant in Elijah's day, there was also a remnant of believing Jews in Paul's day. And there was a remnant of believing Jews in our day. God has preserved, and God is preserving for himself, faithful Jews who, just like Paul, have responded in faith to the good news of Jesus. God's redemptive plan cannot be thwarted. The mere existence of a remnant, it points us straight to the reality that God has been faithful, that God has kept his word, that God's promises are sure. Every single one of them. Here, Paul points us specifically to the exclusive hope that those who are part of the remnants have been chosen by grace. Not a new piece of information for us, is it? Not a new piece of information or new teaching in even the book of Romans, in this, this epistle. He's, the apostle is simply repeating what he has already taught us. God determined his choice of Abraham's physical descendants, who would also become his spiritual descendants. Being part of God's chosen family is a matter of God's grace, not man's works. So from Abraham's descendants, God chose some who would be redeemed. The redemptive plan of salvation for Israel was, was nothing other than grace. God's grace was given to his special people, and the fact that they were his special people is just another evidence of God's grace. But Israel didn't acknowledge or accept or understand that redemption was by grace on a whole. They were still caught up, many of them, with their actions and their traditions and their religiosity. Didn't we already see from Romans chapter 9? We read, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but, if, but if, as it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. It's possible for people in 2022 to make, make the same mistake that, as a whole, Israel had made and was making. Pastor Josh mentioned this morning our, our tendency all of us, is to fall back on what we have done. Israel pursued a righteousness based on the law, based on their works, instead of by faith in response to the kindness that God had shown to them. Do you see that? Apostate people become apostate because they refused the faith that they once professed. It's not about your performance. It's about God's grace. Christian, we need good doctrine. The fourth goal of our church is to preach the full counsel of God's word. And we're absolutely committed to that goal. But our individual knowledge and understanding of doctrine does not gain any of us salvation, eternal redemption. Or maybe you have spent time in a Christian environment that puts too much emphasis 
on the externals. Rules about what you wear, even how long your hair is, or what movies you watch. None of those, decision, none of those decisions are unimportant. They are important. But none of those decisions results in the redemption of someone's eternal soul. Brothers and sisters, our moral behavior reflects what's going on in our hearts. But following a strict set of guidelines doesn't gain anyone favor with God. The means of salvation for Israel in the Old and the New Testaments, the means of salvation for Roman Gentiles that Paul was writing to, and the means of salvation for anyone in 2022 is the same. The means is marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. That's the means of being redeemed. We are redeemed by grace. That's the exclusive hope of our redemption. It has nothing to do with us and our accomplishments. It has everything to do with God and what Jesus accomplished and God's kindness to us that's completely undeserved. Nobody has been saved by works. Salvation comes as a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Friend, understand that you have rebelled against God, that you deserve eternal punishments. Understand that Jesus was sent on a mission to make a payment that you wouldn't face, so that you wouldn't face the eternal punishment that you deserve. Understand that Jesus shed his blood. He was literally crucified on a cross so that whoever believes in his payment is rescued from that eternal punishment that is deserving. Friends, that is grace. That is the exclusive hope of God's faithfulness to his promise. If you have never trusted Jesus, if you've never called out in faith, I would encourage you to do that today, even right now. And if you want to talk a little bit more about that after the service, I will be available, Pastor Josh will be available, other friends at Harvest will be available to speak with you if you would like to do that. The only hope any of us have is grace. That's the exclusive hope of God's faithfulness. His redemptive plan is only hopeful for us because of grace, because he is compassionately providing us with something that we cannot provide for ourselves. Now, Christian, before we move on to the final point of, of this passage, let that marinate for just a second. The only hope that we have is that God has shown kindness to us that we cannot provide for ourselves. How peaceful is that? How much rest does that provide? How kind of God not to make it about our ability to perform or to meet a standard? How kind of God to make the path to Him exclusively by His kindness to us? It removes the stress on us. It, it relieves us of stress of performing a certain way. Think about how much you don't need to be anxious about. Instead, you can live out your life resting in the kindness that God has shown to you. Kindness that you don't deserve. What a hope. You can live out your life just in thanksgiving to Him for showing you this undeserved kindness. God's eternal and gracious redemptive plan is unstoppable 
And that's precisely why it's trustable. You can trust God's plan to redeem you. So we've noted the historical illustration of Elijah, that God is faithful to his promise. We've observed the exclusive hope of God's faithfulness to his promise, grace. Paul ends this section of of Romans, verses 7 through 10, by giving a sobering warning about God's faithfulness to his promise. I want to read these verses one more time. And as I read them, receive the word as a warning. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. As a whole, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, the remnant obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. In verses 7 through 10, we have quotations from Deuteronomy, Isaiah, and the Psalms. We understand from these verses that Israel messed up as a whole. She fell into the trap of trying to obtain God's favor with doing good works. We see this during the incarnation of Jesus through the Pharisees and through the Sadducees. There are multiple times throughout, her, throughout Israel's history where, where she was hardened. And Paul explains to us in verses 7 through 10 that the elect remnant obtained divine grace. They, they received it, but that the rest were hardened. Here's the warning. R.C. Sproul says it this way. If you do not want to hear the word of God, be careful. Because God will make you deaf, and then you will never hear it. If you do not want to hear the word of God, be careful. Because God will make you deaf, and then you will never hear it. Israel was blinded by by God to punish them for their sin. Israel didn't want to see, to receive, to hear the things of God. And so God blinded many of them. He had been gracious to give Israel his word, but on a whole, she was rejecting it. Paul refers to a table. A table is a place of security, a place where we go to feast, a place of hospitality. Paul says that the table of those who reject God will become a snare and a trap. The word that Israel received became a judgment, a stumbling block, a retribution for them. You see, the message of the gospel is liberating for those who believe, but for those who refuse, it actually becomes a word of judgment. And that's the warning that Paul issues. Any who refuse the good news of God's grace will eventually, eternally face condemnation. Hell is a real place. Many people place their trust in the very thing that condemns them, a counterfeit salvation. Christian, we are his workmanship, created to do good, but our goodness is separated from our redemption. Nobody can be rescued by their own goodness. 
Rescue only comes via grace through faith in Jesus. Christian, professing believer, are you trying to win God over? Have you been deceived into thinking that your goodness has or could earn you a standing with God? Listen to the warning. Listen to the sobering warning of this passage. God has made some people deaf, blinded to his word. People who refused to hear it, he hardened them because of their unbelief. When God's word is preached in settings like this, we would each be wise to listen with a willing and a yearning heart. Foster, develop, cultivate a heart that receives the very word of God as it's being preached. Pray for God to use the teaching of his word to help you hold fast to the faith that you have professed. No mere human is unstoppable. Every created being is stoppable. Only the God of the universe who has all power is unstoppable. So only God, the God of the universe, is fully trustworthy. God's eternal and gracious redemptive plan is unstoppable, and that's precisely why it is trustable. You can trust the redeeming plan of God. In verse 1, Paul gave us his own personal testimony as a Jew who had not been rejected by God. It was evidence of God's faithfulness to his promise. In verse 2, Paul explained the theological reality that God foreknew people, proving his faithfulness to his promise. In verses 3 and 4, Paul gave this historical illustration of Elijah that God was, has, and is preserving for himself a remnant. Further evidence that God, of God's faithfulness to his promise to Israel. In verses 5 and 6, Paul teaches us that the only hope of, of, of redemption is found in God's unmerited, undeserved kindness. We call it grace. And in verses 7 through 10, Paul issues a sobering warning about God's faithfulness to his promises. Those who do not heed that warning will experience condemnation. And all of this together, all five of these, these elements of Paul's argument, point us to, to the single idea that God is faithful to his promise. Those who he foreknew, he saves. Those he saves, he keeps. He cannot do otherwise. Otherwise, he ceases to be God. Harvest Bible Church, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you are God's child, be reminded on this Lord's Day that you have not been left alone. There are other followers of Jesus. One day, we will gather together in front of Jesus without the chaos and without the surrounding widespread apostasy, and we will say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain for us. And if you are a child of God, be reminded on this Lord's Day that you are not leaning on your own good works. In other words, you are not going to be with Jesus on that day with other Christians because of what you have done for Jesus. You're not leaning on what you have done. Instead, 
You're leaning on the arms of Jesus. You're leaning on his arms, the very arms that were wrapped up in swaddling clothes because he left the glories of heaven and came to such a humble birth in order that he might rescue us. You were leaning on the arms that willingly embraced children. He said, allow the little children to come to me. You were leaning on the arms that reached out to the vulnerable, the women and the lepers and the blind and the lame. You were leaning on the arms that he extended when he said, Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You were leaning on the arms that were stretched out across a wooden crossbeam and nailed into it so that he could be your substitute by shedding his blood so that you might receive forgiveness of all your sins. You see, we have nothing to add. We have to, 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 to earn the favor of God. We have nothing to dread. We have nothing to fear because God has been and will always be perfectly faithful to all the promises that he has made to us. God has not rejected his people. So, go live with confidence in those promises. Go live with faith that God won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He won't reject any who are in Christ. God has not rejected his people. It's true with the remnant of Israel, and it's true to all who call on his name. This reality that he won't reject you, it changes how you live this life. It changes how you do battle against the enemy, how you fight against the temptations to sin. It changes how you evangelize, how you, how you evangelize the lost. It changes how you interact with others and how you face the hardships of this life. May God help us, the people of Harvest Bible Church, to trust his eternal, gracious, and unstoppable redemptive plan. Let's pray.